Joshua chapter 3. We're continuing our series in the book of Joshua. Uh, we're calling it Be Strong and Courageous. Uh, that is a, uh, uh, just a, a word that the Lord's given us this year uh, to pursue Him and being strong and be courageous. We, we got the banners up here. In fact, can you, can you help me say this out loud as you're turning to Joshua chapter 3? Uh, and the count of three, can you say be strong and courageous? One, two, three. Be strong and courageous. That's awesome. Let's do it one more time. Be strong and courageous. That's what the Lord's calling us to. And that's what we saw in Joshua chapter 1. Moses had died, and the Lord had appointed Joshua to be his successor to take the children of Israel into the promised land, into the land that God was giving them. And, and this was the command he gave him. The invitation, really, that he gave him was be strong and be courageous. And the reason they could be strong, the reason they could be courageous, is because the Lord promised that he would be with them wherever they went. That as they were faithful to, to obey his word, as they were faithful to be led by him, that he would be with them and they would, they would be conquerors, that they would, everything that God promised them would happen and to be strong and courageous and to take hope and to take strength in that. That was Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 2 last week um, was R-rated. So if you missed it, you don't often hear R-rated sermons. So if you miss that, you can listen to that online or on our app. And, but it was rated R for redemption. And we talked about the story of Rahab. Uh, we talked about how uh, the Lord used a woman who was trapped in prostitution to change the trajectory of the people of God. She's even in the lineage of Jesus. And that it doesn't matter how far you are from him. It doesn't matter how things look. A yes to Jesus overrides everything else. And so if we say yes to him, that's what matters. And he will take that and he'll make something beautiful out of it. And so that, that brings us to chapter 3. Because in chapter 2, uh, they, they scoped out the land and let's, they said, let's go for it. And so we come to chapter 3 and a title in there says, Crossing Your Jordan. And so at the beginning of the week when I outlined uh, the sermon for this week, I was going to do the whole chapter. But the last few days, as I was really honing in on it, the Lord just has, has restricted me uh, to the first five verses and that he really wants us to focus on this. And so uh, for the uh, website, we're going to retitle this sermon. It's going to be Preparing to Cross Your Jordan. And we'll cross the Jordan next week. Uh, so this week we're preparing uh, to cross the Jordan. And, and the, Jordan is a river. Uh, Jordan is a river that is a, currently um, on the east side of the river Jordan is the country of Jordan. And on the west side is the western bank and Israel. And so that's the physical location. Uh, this was the barrier, the physical barrier, that was keeping the people of God, the children of Israel, from moving into the land, which would be Israel, was called Canaan land, the promised land that God had promised in. Well, they were going to be coming into that. But that was the physical barrier that was keeping them from that. And without God, it would have been impossible. Two million people. You'll, we'll talk about it next week. It was at flood stage level, like a mile wide. It was deep. It was fast. It was a miracle that two million people could cross that. And so it represents that only with God can something that's impossible become possible. And you can get to where he's calling you to get into the, the land of promise. And, and, and what that represents met, um, uh, metaphorically, a picture of, is that there are barriers that are keeping us from all that God has intended. Each one of us have barriers in our life that are keeping us from pursuing all obtaining full inheritance, all that God has for us. And so how do we get across that barrier currently, whatever it might be in our life? And, and all of us have different barriers. Maybe you have a barrier of addiction. And then, so there's this addiction that you know is keeping you from fully possessing and, and having all that God is inviting you into. 
Well, he can make a way where there seems to be no way through that. Maybe it's, there's, maybe it's a, a bitterness. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's a lack of opportunity. Maybe it's a lack of education. Maybe it's a lack of hope and hopelessness. Or maybe it's depression. It can be all kinds of things that could really, you really feel like, man, if, I could, if this one thing could change, this, this one barrier that's keeping me, that I can't do anything, I've tried I've, everything in my own strength, I can't get through this, but if I could get through this, I know God has good stuff for me on the other side. Well, that's the Jordan. That's what we're talking about this morning, those things that would keep us on the other side of what God has for us. And this is what we need to understand when we talk about the promised land or the land of promise or the promises of God. Let me just say this, that it's not stuff, okay? It's not stuff. If you're thinking it's stuff, it's so much, that's so less below what God has for you. What the land of promise actually is, what the promises of God actually are, is God himself. God himself is our promise. God himself is our inheritance because in him we have everything that we need. And so it's an invitation to move fully into all of who he is and what he intends to be in our life. And that has great implication because that changes our life. That changes the way we live when we're walking in full relationship with him, when we're abiding in him, when we're resting in him, then all these other things just get thrown in as well. And so one of the key concepts that we talk about moving into the promised land of God or the promises of of God is that it was a promise to the children of Israel that it would be a place of rest. A place of rest. Anybody here like to rest? The older you get, the more you like rest, isn't it true? But it was a it was a place of rest. And and you see, because you got we got to know the history, right? These people had been the ancestors had been nomads. After they were nomads, they were slaves for 400 years. After they were slaves for 400 years, they wandered in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. They were looking forward to a place of rest, a place that they had heard flowed with milk and honey, which means abundance. And this place of rest, and it represents that. And we know from the book of Hebrews that as we abide in Christ, that there is a place of rest for us. There's a place free of anxiety, free of of, of worry, uh, free of striving in our own effort to be good enough or do good enough or we can make it happen. But there's a place of resting in what Jesus has already done for us that is being applied to our lives and allows us to be who Jesus has made us to be, his sons and his daughters, and to rest in our identity of who we are and then fully walk into the life that he has shaped for us, that he has laid out for us. And that is the, those are the promises of God. And so as we look into that, there are things that we need to do to prepare to move into all that God has for us individually and also corporately as a body. And so, and so we're going we're gonna to look at this uh, in, in Joshua chapter 3, uh, 1 through 3. The first point I'm going to make this morning, as I observed in the text, was that to cross our Jordans, we need to abide in the presence of God. We need to abide in His presence. Verse uh, 1 says... And then Joshua rose early in the morning. Uh, let, me, let me just stop right there for a moment. There's something about early in the morning, isn't there? You're like, yeah, there's something about it. That's right. But there really is. There's something about early in the morning. Uh, we've had these 21 days of prayer early from 6 to 7. There's just something special about just starting day out with Jesus. You know what, you know what I'm talking about? We often see that Jesus went 
early in the morning, and he, and he got away. And what I love this about Joshua is that it just shows his intentionality. It shows his passion. It shows his vision. He couldn't get up early enough to begin to pursue what God had for them. Have you ever, you ever been getting ready to leave on a, like an awesome vacation or something, or a vacation you hoped was going to be awesome? <laughs> Whether it turns out that way is a whole other story. But you have these expectations. You have this anticipation. Maybe it's a trip, whatever it might be. And you can hardly sleep at night. And then you get up early before the alarm goes off, like Christmas morning, right? And you're just ready because you're so excited about the future, about what's going to happen. I think that was the heart of Joshua, that this passion, this vision for the promise of God was so on fire in his heart. He was strong and he was courageous and he was ready to go. He got up early. They were ready to go for it. And, and as they, they, so they got up early. They set out from Akia Grove, from this Akia Grove, because I picked this one because NIV says something else, so I picked this one instead, if you're reading in NIV. And he came to Jordan. So they got to the river, and he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. Verse 2, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then you should set out from your place and go after it. And so as we talk about looking at this at this, uh, these verses here, this, we, let's talk for a moment about the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was a physical box that was built that was four feet long, about two and a half feet tall, and about two and a half feet wide, overlaid with gold, beautiful. Um, you, you, can, you can look it up. It's, uh, if you've seen uh, you know, Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you kind of have an idea of what it was like. It was on these poles that the priest uh, carried it on. And it, re- it, it, was the, it, was, it marked the presence of God among his people. And so the manifest presence of God would come and be upon it. And it, 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 was, in the, it was in the tabernacle in the wilderness. It would be placed in the temple um, as they built the temple in Jerusalem. As Solomon built that, it would be placed there. And, and, and that's where the presence of God abided. Now that was, that was in the First Testament um, in the Second Testament, in the, in the new, what we call the New Testament, it's, it's we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're that Ark of the Covenant, so to speak, that God resides in us, that he's not, he hasn't limited himself to one place in geography, that we are the priest of God, that, that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and that he, he operates in us and through us. And so uh, he's, he's in us, and so it's a different. But in that day, that was the paradigm. That was the understanding, because God wanted them to have a physical understanding that he was with them. And so it's important. And there were several things in this box of covenant. Um, one was the, the, the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. Uh, one was a, it was a jar of manna, the bread that God miraculously provided. And then there was Aaron's rod that had budded these flowers. And so these were the things in there. And different um, scholars have different maybe ideas of what they represent. Uh, they represent the Word of God, the provision of God, and the bread, and the power of God in, the, uh, in, the, in Aaron's uh, uh, budding rod. Um, some scholars think it represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that God the Father, His Word um, of who He is, uh, His holiness, of, uh, of the manna of Jesus, that bread, Jesus being the bread of life, and then Aaron's rod representing the, the um, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit um, in our lives. And it could, could be those things, but we know for sure that it represented the presence of God. It was the presence of God among them. 
And, and so here it says that, that after three days, so they camped and they went there for three days. Now, uh, there's folks, they, I think they call them like numerologists or something, that really study numbers in Scripture. And, and I'm not really too given to that, um, but I am very aware that there are certain um, numbers in Scripture that ha- occur often that absolutely have significance. It's just like, it's undeniable. Uh, some of the numbers are three, uh, seven, ten, twelve, um, forty. Uh, 50, 70, 120, 500. So you have these numbers that, that are significant and that have meaning and that repeat in Scripture. And three is one of those. And uh, some scholars would say the number three would mean a, a perfection or a completeness. Um, and, and, and you see in Scripture that there's so many things that are three, right? The angels uh, in, in heaven that fall uh, before the, the, the host, the, the God himself, they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We know the, that God is, is three in one. He's Father, He's Son, He's Holy Spirit. There's three. So numbers three is huge. What's really interesting is when you look at three days in Scripture. And every time you see three days in Scripture, there's always a significant event that has some type of creation, salvation, some major event that's, that's attached to it. And so three days are significant. So, so it's just fun in the Bible to read about three days and the significance that is in that. And so I'm just going to list a few few of them to you. Um, The earth was separated from the waters during creation on the third day. Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son, Isaac, on a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. It was and that was a, a foreshadow of Christ coming, the fulfillment, the promise that would, re, that would be sacrificed for our sins. And so that was a three-day journey. Moses requested of Pharaoh that he let Moses take his people on a three-day journey into the wilderness to worship the Lord. And right, we know how that three-day journey turned out, don't we? They got, they got delivered. They got brought out of Egypt. Um, when God showed himself... On Mount Sinai, it was on the third day after the people arrived. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a great fish. And Jonah took a three-day journey to the city of Nineveh. And we know that a whole city came to Christ, or came to the Lord, to Yahweh. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, you, maybe, you didn't, maybe you, did, you, you didn't catch this one in Sunday school. Jesus was missing for three days when he was 12. When he, remember they left him at the temple? It was three days. Um, Jesus prophesied that he would uh, he would be he'd risen from the he would rise from the dead on the how many days third day he, and it happened didn't he he rose from the dead on the third day Saul was blinded for three days and then he received his sight and the whole world got turned upside down three days is significant it's 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 a marker of what God is going to do and so here they camped for three days and it was a significant changing event in the history of this people. And we're still talking about it today. Those three days are very, very significant. And so as we cross the Jordan in our lives, we need to abide in the presence of God. And that's what they were doing in those days. In those three days, they were abiding in his presence. Abiding in his presence. I think of John chapter 15, where Jesus says, He is the vine and we are the branches. And unless we are tapped into him, unless we're abiding in him, that there won't be any fruit of lasting in our lives. That nothing that really has eternal value will come about. Because anything that happens in our life that comes, anything that we do that is different, that comes out of anything but our being and who we are in Christ, 
ultimately is wood, hay, and stubble. It won't last eternally. And so as people of God, we want to be those that are abiding in Christ, that are living in Him. That's really what the word abide really means, is, is to live in, to, to um, inhabit, to, to be there, to, to exist, to live, to have a, an environment that is where you can live in. You know, I'm, there's a difference in my life when I live my life in such a way that I create, create a way, an opportunity, when I create an environment, so to speak, to abide in Christ, as opposed to when I don't live my life that way. Days that I create opportunity to fully abide in Christ, moment by moment, are different than days that I don't. When, when I worship, when I use worship music, to worship Him and to just be focused on Him. When I spend quality time in the Word, not just trying to get a chapter read so I can go to bed. Can I get an amen? Um, oh, I'm the only one. Okay. Um, you know, when I really s- slow down and take time to pray, and this is the kicker for me, is when I take time of solitude and silence and say nothing, but just a just sit in the presence of Jesus, whether I feel anything or not. It doesn't matter. He's there. And I just be with Jesus. Just abide in Him and in His presence. And I slow down and I take more time for people. And I'm aware of what's going on. I'm not, even though I maybe have a lot to do, I'm not busy. You know the difference. You know what I'm talking about. I make time for God's children, His people, His creation. I'm telling you, life's different. I'm different. My family will tell you. I'm different than when I'm not worshiping, when I'm not spending time in His Word, when I'm not abiding. It doesn't mean I'm not saved, right? It just means I'm not abiding, abiding, right? I mean, like really living every day fully in Jesus. And I'm telling you, to us to really get where He wants to bring us across that Jordan, it's going to require us abiding in Christ, living in Christ, moving, breathing, everything in Jesus. And, 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 and that's what the success of our being able to possess the promises of God, to receive his inheritance, it's not going to be based on our ability, friends. We can't be good enough. We can't do good enough. It's going to be based on our dependency on Jesus. Our dependency upon him is what's going to get us through impossible circumstances and into his promises. And so we want to be people who abide because he says, when the, he's about to tell them, because when the ark moves, you're going to go with it. And so we have to be abiding to know when the Lord's moving and what he's doing. And so the, the, the second thing I want you to notice for you to prepare to cross into your Jordan is that you'll need to be obedient to the, to the presence of God. You'll need to be obedient to God as you're abiding in him. Then the next step is to then be obedient to him. Verse 4. Yet, so he's telling them they're going to follow this, this ark across the, the Jordan. He says, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, that's 3,000 feet. That's how much it measures. Don't, do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So he says, keep your distance. Now, the NIV, and I didn't use the NIV because I don't, the NIV and the RSV interpret this. They say it, and then... They say where it's going to be, and they say, then do not go near it. And I don't think that's the best interpretation from my understanding of studying the, the languages here and doing research. Um, 
that take is that they couldn't come near it because of the holiness of it. And I don't want to discount that, okay? Because we know there's a story in the Old Testament where the ark was falling and a priest like reached over to support it and, and he died because he encountered the full holiness of who God is. So I'm not discounting the holiness of God. Trust me, I don't want to get struck by lightning, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that was funnier in my mind. but um, And so... You know, I'm, we are called, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. He is a holy God. He's a complete God. We're to walk in, in, in holy fear, in reverence, of full respect of him. I'm not discounting that at all. That's, he is God and him alone. And, but what I really, the way I interpret this is actually, I believe, a very pragmatic statement. That he was really saying that, that there's two million of you that he's going to be taking across this river, and you're going to have to be back a little bit so everybody can see what's going to happen. Because he wanted every, he wanted every man, woman, uh, grandma, grandpa, boy, and girl to see donkey and camel and dog to see what he was going to do. Because they would tell generations, these kids would tell their kids, and their kids would tell their kids about what the, you'll never believe what we saw God do. And then they tell this great story, which we'll talk about next week, of the, this parting of the river. He wanted ever. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the passage in Joel, where it says that God has poured out his spirit on all flesh. And he wants, he wants to pour out his spirit on everybody, on sons and daughters, on men and women, regardless of social class, regardless of race, regardless of gender. doesn't matter. He wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh and that we would prophesy, that we would have visions and dreams, that the Lord would speak through. He wants everybody in on his, what he's doing. If he didn't have them back up, it just would have been the priest, it would have been the Levites, it would have been the heads of the tribes, it just would have been the important people that would have seen what God was doing. And God's like, uh-uh, this is for everybody. Everybody's going across. I want everybody to be in on what I am doing. And so he had them back up so they could see what was going to happen. Why? So they would know where to go. He says, you need to know where to go. You haven't gone here before. You haven't gone this way before. You haven't, you haven't been here before. You've not passed this way. You know, you've never lived today before. Well, isn't that a, that's a profound statement, isn't it? You've never lived tomorrow yet. You haven't lived next week yet. You don't know what next month holds. You haven't been there before. You just don't know. You think you may know. You may have a plan, but you don't know. You don't know, no, till after it happens. And we need to be dependent and obedient to the Spirit of God because where he's taken us, we've never been before. And don't we like to have our act together, right? Like we want to act like we know what we're doing. And if you don't, then you fake it and you act like you know what you're doing. Because you want to, you know, act like you know what you're doing. But the reality is none of us know what we're doing. We've got to be dependent on the Spirit of God. Because it all changes. Anything can happen and then what you're doing just changes. And that's what he's saying. You see, because he's saying, you've never been this way before. You see, you remember how they spent the 40 years before this? Right? Like you're going in circles. Oh, yeah, I remember that bush. There's that rock. If you go around this corner, 300 feet to the left, there's going to be a spring and you can get a drink. I mean, they knew 
They knew what was happening. They had seen it. They had been around the mountain and around the mountain and around the mountain. But God was taking them somewhere they had never been before. And he's like, you're going to have to be dependent on me. You're going to have to be obedient to me. You're going to have to keep an eye on me. You're going to have to say, focus on what I'm doing because I'm going to take you places you've not been before. And if you don't pay attention, you're not going to, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to stay with me. You've got you to gotta be with me on this. And I, friends, I think that's a word for you. I think that's a word for our church. And where the Lord wants to take us in his promises and what he has intended for us, we have to be dependent on him. We have to be walking in step with him. We have to be focused on him because we haven't been here before. We haven't done this before. He's going to take us places we haven't seen before. And so we have to be dependent on him. I've never been a grandpa before. How do you be a grandpa? I don't know. But if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I can be a good grandpa. I'm going to find out. I'm sorry, Papa. That's what they've told me they're going to call me, Papa. Do I look like a Papa? And Mama, does that look like Mammy? What's going on here? I don't know. Jesus, I need you. I've never been here before. Lord, help me. And so that's just, I mean, we have to, we have to keep our focus because we've never, we've never been here before. We need him. We need that so much. Because, see, they're getting ready to go into battle. Like, they have giants ahead of them. They have... Um, they have big armies. They have fortified cities ahead of them. They know that. They know what's in the land. And the Lord's saying, you're going to take this land, but you'll take it as you keep your eyes on me. And, and, and we haven't even got into the spiritual warfare aspect of what we're going to be talking about in the next weeks and months. But to us to fully take dominion over what God has for us, it requires a dependence, an abiding in the Spirit of God, and then obedience to Him of just walking with him. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit is not a flaky, weird term. Walking in the Spirit is simply being in a communion, abiding in the presence of God and being obedient and just walking with Jesus. Just walking with him. How many of you guys ever use Google Maps or, or Apple Maps or any of these? You guys ever use them? Well, you know, when you're using them in your cars, you can go pretty fast. You just kind of you have this general sense of where you're going. Uh, we were at a pastor's conference in D.C. in May, and we took a couple days and went up to New York City. And, uh, wow, that's another place right there in New York. Wow. So we were there, and I don't know my way around New York City, so you can't see anything to get, like, frame of references because there's just these skyscrapers everywhere. So I used, I used my Google map, the walk feature, you get, in Ozarks, we don't use the walk feature, do we? We always use the car feature. But there's a walk. Did you know there's a walk feature? There is. There's a walk feature. And, and as I was walking around, I was just holding my phone, you know, obviously looking like a tourist, and just, just holding my phone just because here in about 23 feet, I'm going to have to make a right. And I want to be able to, I can, I can make that right. I can go that direction. And really that's a picture of walking in the Spirit, that there's this continual connection of just walking with him. And when we get off track, we, oh, I thought that was right, but it was left. And we have that course correction, and, and, uh, and we're told in that, in, on our phones in that weird voice, you know, go this way. But, but in real life, we, we sense a sense of the Lord, no, go back this way. And we're just walking in the Spirit. It's like a, a spiritual GPS. The Holy Spirit just guides us and leads us to, because we've never been here before, and we're so, so dependent on him. And so to cross the Jordan, we need to abide in the presence of God. We need to be obedient in the presence of God. And then finally, there's just some stuff that we got to leave behind. There's some junk. There's some stuff that we just, we just have to leave on this side of Jordan. That's what verse 5 is about. He says, And Joshua said to his people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
Some translations say sanctify, some say consecrate. But either way, those aren't words we use a lot in our vocabulary, are they? They mean purify. Uh, They mean to make holy. In this situation, ritually, what they would have done is they would have bathed, they would have begun to fast, they would have abstained from different things, and they would have put themselves at a place of obedience and surrender to Him. They would be presenting themselves to the Lord. You know, a picture of consecration is, is what happened when Heather and I got married 22 and a half years ago where uh, we presented ourselves to each other, we consecrated ourselves to each other, our, our, our past, our previous experience, that, that was behind us. We were now one, and we were consecrated, we were focused on each other. We were, in all realities, we were presenting. I was presenting myself to Heather, she was presenting herself to me, and we were becoming one flesh together. We were consecrated together. That, that's the idea here of presenting and offering and, and making ourselves available to him. And, and what this does, this takes it to a whole other level. Because what we've talked about is abiding in Christ. And then we've talked about being obedient. And what we're really talking about now is now surrender. Do you know there's a difference between obedience and surrender? Right? Obedience is, being, is doing what you're being instructed to do, what you're being told to do. But surrender is a whole nother level. Surrender is just giving in. It's, it's just surrender. When we surrender to the Lord, it's beyond obedience. It's, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, whatever. It's, I'm surrendered. It's, I'm yours. I, I give in to you. I'm, I present myself. I'm, I'm, I'm all yours. I'm all in Jesus. And so, and so that's what is happening here. And I believe that's what is required of us to fully move in to all that God has for us is beyond obedience, but complete surrender to the lordship of Jesus, to his love, to everything. We simply give to him. And it's interesting here that he tells, he says, consecrate yourself, sanctify yourself. Like, does that not make much sense to, to you? Because when I first read that, I'm like, I can't concentrate my, a consec- I can't consecrate myself. I can't sanctify my, I don't have the power. To, only Jesus can do that. But what he's saying is an act of faith of stepping into that. And then seeing it be manifested of who he is, that it's our responsibility to be all in. And then he does what only he, he can do. And so then we present ourselves. You know, this is a theme consistent in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 1. You don't have them up here. I'll just read them to you. Therefore, having these promises of who we are in God, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we have a part to play in this of surrender and of consecration. Romans 6.16 talks about, do you not know that when you offer yourselves, when you consecrate as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin leading to death or to obedience leading to righteousness, that we're all consecrated to something. And some of us are consecrated to ourselves. Some of us are sanctified to ourselves. We're surrendered to ourselves and we want to do what we want to do good no amens that's good good but what the lord's calling us to do is to be all in for him be fully surrendered to him which leads to righteousness second timothy 2 15 says be diligent to present yourself approved to god a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth and and then you skip down to verse 19 he says nevertheless the solid foundation of god stands having this seal The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He says, but in a great house, in a big house, there's all kinds of vessels. There's vessels of gold and of silver, but there's also some wood and some clay. Some are for honor, 
and some are for dishonor. Think porta potty, okay? Right? I mean, nobody wants to be a porta potty for Jesus, right? And we want to be silver and gold vessels. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That part of our preparation to be used by God to be fruitful for him is a surrender, is a consecration, is, a, is, is this act of giving in, and he comes and sanctifies us and sets us apart. You know, one of the things I love about our 21 days of prayer and fasting is that is exactly what it is. That it's no coincidence, although I didn't design it, that after 21 days of prayer and fasting on day 22, we would come together and the Lord would ask us to consecrate ourselves. He would ask us to offer ourselves because that's what we've been doing by praying, by fasting different things. We have been preparing ourselves to be used by Him. We're presenting ourselves to the Lord. We're consecrating ourselves. We're, we're, we're seeking Him with everything that is within us. And we see this in, in a consecration of, to serve the Lord in Romans 12. Very, very, very familiar verse. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not... He says here, offer to present yourself. He said, and then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't know how the will of God has gotten a bad rap. It's a deception of Satan. That somehow we have been deceived to think if we're fully surrendered to God, that somehow his will won't be the very best option. But it is. He only wants to do good in our lives every single day, that we can trust him, that his will is good. And so we see here in verse 5 that they're to sanctify themselves, they're to consecrate themselves. Why? Because the Lord's going to do wonders among them. He's going to do wonders among them. You know what his wonders are? His wonders are his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. That the Lord is wanting to do wonders in your life. The Lord is wanting to do more than you can think, more than you can imagine. More than you can even hope for. He wants to do that in your life. He wants to do that in our church. But what it requires is consecrated people. What it requires is sanctified people. What it requires are people that have surrendered, that have offered themselves to the Lord. And I said, Lord, here we are. We give ourselves to you unreservedly. We are yours, and we set ourselves apart for you and for your service. You can do something with us. Go for it, God. Because we want to see your wonders. We want to have, we want to possess all that you have promised us. In Jesus' name.